0: Welcome to the Wisdom and Wellness Parsha podcast, a weekly Eden Centre podcast featuring Rabbanit Shani Tarragan, with insights from the Parsha about women's health, relationships, mikvah and well-being. This podcast is hosted by the Eden Centre that is transforming the mikveh experience by educating women how to use mikvah as the natural platform it is to connect to women's health, well-being and healthy relationships. Read our weekly blogs on a range of fascinating topics, download our wonderful publications, learn about our Balaniot and Kala teacher trainings, and support us at theedencenter.com. Rabbanit Shani Tarragon has been a leading force in women's Torah learning and in Eden's work, and we are honored to combine two of her passions, Torah education and empowering us about women's health and well-being. Without further ado, Shani.
1: Hello and welcome to Eden's Wisdom and Wellness for Women Parsha podcast. In this week's Parsha, Parsha Balak, I'd like to address two issues that we find both at the beginning of the Parsha and then towards the end of the Parsha. At the beginning of the Parsha, we find Balak reminiscent of Paro, Vayakatz Moab Mipnei B'nei Yisrael. He sees Am Yisrael by his border and he wants them cursed, very similar to Vayakutsu Mipnei B'nei Yisrael. And what does Balak do? He sends messengers, to implore of Bil'am to go and curse B'nei Yisrael. And surprisingly, instead of Bil'am saying immediately, you know, Hashem really controls my words, or Am Yisrael are a blessed people, he says, you know what? Stay over to the night. And it's only when Hashem tells him, no, 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 go and dismiss them. That Bilam says, "Okay, I can't go with you." in What happens as a result? Balak sends more sarim, more officers, sarim rabim even more honorable representatives, and they come to Bilam once again. And they say, Come on, Bilam, I'll give you so much honor. You'll be so popular. Whatever you ask for, I'll give you. Just curse these people. And what does Bilam say? Initially, even if you give me all the kesef, is a havlo, pi alokai, la tana ogdola, but you know what? Shvuna ze tem halayla. Stay over tonight as well. And what's clear is that there's something driving Bilam to go, to go and curse B'nai Yisrael, even after Hashem says, and you know I don't want you to go, but fine, you're going to go anyway. So, kum lechitam, totase. This, I think, is the phenomenon that we're all very familiar with today on social media of of the likes. And we want to be liked. When uh, Bil'am sees the dignitaries that Balak has sent... Even though he knows that it's wrong to go with him, sometimes he'll just press like anyway. Stay here because, wow, what great honor. And if uh, I just press that like button because they're showing me that they adore me and that they need me, such a great feeling. I'll let them stay over tonight and the next time around when... Balak, knowing this, is going to place social peer pressure on Bilam. Come on, again, we'll give you whatever you want. Look at all this honor. Come on, come on, Bilam, and we see that it works. And Hakadosh Baruch Hu says, you know what? You should always pursue what's liked, because in the end, even your donkey is going to recognize the truth. Even the aton is going to recognize that you can't really go against the desire of Hakadosh Baruch Hu. And that's one message that we have to take from this week's parsha. If we already spoke about issues of self-confidence and insecurity, the likes of social media, the likes of people of the like of Balak and Bil'am seeking honor and kavod, one really does have to be cautious and not trying to think for oneself all the time. What does HaKadosh Baruch really like and not just what social media tells me? that I should like, whether it's the money, whether it is the honor, or whether it's going to be the publicity. The second issue that we find in this week's parsha is in the third bracha that Bil'am offers in place of a curse to Am Yisrael. And this is the famous bracha that he says, inspired by HaKadosh Baruch Ma Tavu O'alacha Yaakov Mishkanotacha Yisrael. And Rashi quotes Chazal, looking at the encampments of Am Yisrael, what is so beautiful about the tents of Yaakov? Rashi says he was commenting particularly on the tents, literally the tents, that not a single opening of one tent was faced towards one opposite. In other words, there was Privacy between the tents so that no one saw what was going on in one another's tent. Rashi is quoting part of the Midrash of Chazal. Chazal explain, Ra lo hayu shel Yisrael they were actually arranged in such a way that no one could look into one another's tent. And here we see the beautiful tzniut of Am Yisrael reinforced by Am Levadad Yishkon. We really are unique. We're different. We don't necessarily abide by the values of the society around us. We have a respect for privacy. And what's interesting is that it's not just privacy but specifically the ohel, the place of intimacy and perhaps what Bil'am and what Chazal are commenting on it's not just the issue of privacy with regard to intimacy between husband and wife that should be kept private, but maybe it's also telling us that when things are intimate, when we're inside the ohel, that's really where you can build your ohel. That's really where you can build yourself and where you can really build your family. I think that we've been seeing it through the past few weeks and months that being restricted and socially distant and literally quarantined into our respective ohelot, into our tents has te- taught us all the more how By closing our homes every once in a while from the public, we learn that we don't have to share everything. Just like we don't have to abide by the likes of society, we don't have to press share on social media either. Because if we share everything, then we don't allow ourselves to build our individual personae, and certainly we don't qualify our families. The Greeks were known for telling us, In order to build up a metropolis, in order to build up a city, get rid of the mashkov, the thresholds of your home. No one should have doors on their home. Your own self should not be private. It has to be part of a collective whole, but we believe differently that in order to truly contribute to society, we have to build up ourselves first. We have to identify the families, as we're going to see over the next few parashiyot as well. We have to be able to build our own tents and every once in a while close that petach and not press share. This, as we know, reminds us of the famous dialogue that takes place between the Malachim and Abraham when they ask, Sarah Where is Sarah, your wife? And Rashi explains the Ohel, oh, and yes, that's the Makom Batuach, Shalom Ohalayich, that Sarah being in the tent doesn't mean per se that she is isolated to the tent. Rather, saying Sarah ba ohel, Sarah is building herself up. Sarah is developing her her own personality. She is building and completing herself in the ohel. She is building the quality of the family, which is why when Yitzchak marries Rivka Sarah he brings Rivka into Sarah's tent into the family family tent, sharing with her not only the miracles provided for Sarah, but also sharing the spirit of the home, the values of the home. And we see this certainly from the juxtaposition of this bracha of Bil'am to when Bil'am continues along his way. Bil'am, as we see from the end of the parsha, Vayakam Bil'an Vayelech Vayashav Lemkomo. He's not truly affected by this. Deep inside, he still is so affected by social media. He's still ready to press the likes and the shares. But this time he understands the secret of Am Yisrael. And that is that they know Matovu They know how to close their ohil. They know not to have the petach always facing someone else's opening of their home. They know how to remain private. And therefore, he advises to Bil'am, Explained Chazal, that specifically in Shittim, in this area, the Chazal explain as makom shtut. He takes advantage of their being exposed to all different frivolities and all different types of distractions of the secular societies of Moab and Midian. And he says, great, now's the opportunity for Znut. Now's the opportunity for promiscuity that we know leads to the notorious sin of Baal Pa'or and the death of no less than 24,000 members of Am Yisrael. As soon as we open up our tents a little too much, as soon as we engage in the shtut of society, as soon as we share a little too much, we lose really what's precious to us. So we're going to explore this idea of liking and sharing and certainly respecting privacy within Am Yisrael, both in our own intimate lives of our family and our relationships. So uh, please join me as uh, I sit with uh, Dr. Yochave Debo, renowned expert, author, and explore these issues of privacy within our homes. Shabbat Shalom. Hello, and welcome to Eden's Wisdom and Wellness for Women Parsha podcast. This week, we have the S'chut to hear from renowned expert, Dr. Yocheved Bo, expert on sexual education, author of the groundbreaking book that you should all purchase, Talking About Intimacy and Sexuality, A Guide to Orthodox Jewish Parents, coming out with the second edition very soon, and also in Hebrew, published by Koren Magid Press. Certainly one of the reasons why Yochavit is our guest this week on our podcast to speak about the bracha of Bil'am, in this week's parsha, Parshat Balak, when Bil'am, of his own initiative, looks at the machaneh of Am Yisrael, and notes, Chazal teach us what is so great about the tents of Yaakov and the dwellings of Yisrael, that no opening of a tent faced one another. In other words, he saw the tzni'ut, he saw the privacy, he saw the demeanor and the refinement of the camp of Am Yisrael. And we're going to address this today with Dr. Yochaved Dubow and an expert in this field. And Yochaved, we started talking a few minutes ago about some of the challenges in today's society, in a society where social media is rampant, where everyone posts everything about anything and everything. And now we hear that there is a Jewish value of privacy. How do we somehow balance privacy in a very non-private world? Um, Hi Shani, first of
2: all, thank you for allowing me to be part of this very wonderful endeavor. Um, So first of all, I want to say that what's really interesting is that the fact that in the Torah, that is what is noticed about Am Yisrael, that that's sort of something that was unique about us even in the olden days, that it seems that part of the message that Judaism brings to the world and has always brought to the world is that there is a certain um, value in privacy, in Kedusha, in in knowing what to share and what not to share, that that was noticed, that Bilam notices so much so that he has almost no choice but to mention that that's something that's remarkable. Um, and, and it seems to be that that challenged, that was a challenge in the world even then. In other words, we know of lots of promiscuity and promiscuous um, sexual practices around Abad that existed in those times. Uh, and I'm going to say there's a parallel, you know, on some level that um, the world has always had um, some kind of Im- involvement in sexuality that wasn't what we would call kadosh. And Am Yisrael has been noticed or was noticed in in our Parsha for the fact that they were different. And the question is, can we hold on to that nowadays? So I guess my point is that it's not that we're challenged nowadays and never been challenged before, that across history, Am Yisrael always needed to hold themselves to a particular standard or a standard that Chazal and and the Torah holds us to, um, which is... Uh, to know what to share and what not to share, to know what to put out into the public and what to hold private. And I often tell my students that for me, in a relationship, intimacy, a relationship becomes intimate at the moment when you choose not to tell your best friend what just happened on your date. Mm-hmm. So that intimacy is about what you cho- something that's just between two people and not more than that. And um, certainly social media has created a world in which we're encouraged to share everything that happens in our lives all the time Uh, and it's very enticing Uh, and I think the the message of Judaism is to share appropriately there are wonderful things that happen on social media as a result of people being able to share but to be thoughtful about what we share and to always do that kind of internal test of is this something that makes sense to put out there in the world would I be happy if it was sort of posted on a billboard or am I not sure that this is something I want to share? And to, I think for ourselves to be thoughtful and certainly to teach our children who are growing up in a generation where this is just the norm, to be thoughtful about what it, what parts of themselves they put out into the public sphere and to make sure that they hold on to some of themselves in a private sphere because our privacy is a very precious part of ourselves.
1: Beautiful, very true. Now on one hand, in this world of social media, of non-privacy to teach our children and to keep certain things private, whether it's private parts, you address this in your book as well. Again, how to how to talk about certain issues of intimacy and and I would say even the the most intimate physical parts of our of our body but also emotional intimacy. And at the same time we both see that there are women out there who struggle with this and when we teach so much privacy, 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 and what's the balance then of when I need to share or when should I share. So how do you teach when we shouldn't share, what's considered too much to share, and perhaps what's considered too much not to share? So excellent question.
2: And I actually did want to emphasize that um, privacy is not secrecy. In other words, I'm going to separate between what's private and what's secret. Okay. Um, Ravi Lai actually has a very um, clever Separation. When he talks about secrets, um, he talks about it really in the context of uh, of safety and, and sexual abuse. Um, but he talks about the idea that there are two types... We can teach our children that there are two types of secrets. A secret that has no um, sell-by date, he says. No date when it's going to be over um, is a secret that you should right away tell your parents. And a secret that uh, is a secret like you know, Shirley's getting engaged next week, shh, don't tell anyone, but in a week's time you can tell everyone, is a secret that you don't have to worry about. And that kind of differentiates between things that we share sometimes and things that we don't ever share. So, but, but in general, I want to say that secrets are something that usually or often have a negative part to them. And privacy is about what parts of myself I want to share with the world And what parts of myself I want to share with some people. In other words, again, our sharing isn't always on social media. Do I tell a good friend? Do I tell a circle of friends? We all have different circles with the levels of how much we share. And for some of those circles, some of the things I would share would be too much information and inappropriate. And and there's always someone who I can share with. Um, I think when you're suffering and in pain, when you're holding on to something that you're worried about, then you should find a good friend to talk to about it. Uh, And kind of check yourself against them because um, the, the power of, of a secret, the power of something that I cannot tell is very dangerous. Um, so you need to have those close people that you talk to uh, versus the things that we can share in very easy ways because they're, they're public versus the things that really um, don't need to be shared at all. Uh, in other words, I certainly think nowadays I see a lot of uh, groups on on Facebook, which is for old people like us, and I imagine <laughs> yeah, younger people now, soon, use other uh, use other other forums, but um, groups that uh, also groups about intimacy. Right, mm-hmm. I had a really hard time last night. I wasn't able to to be attracted to my husband, and he really wanted to be with me. And what should I do? about it that is shared very publicly. And on the one hand, there's something very important. Like when we got married, there were no forms for anything that's and you right. just suffered in silence. Right. Um. So on the one hand, that's wonderful that there are places where people can get advice. And on the other hand, um, you know, you're sharing something that's very personal and private in a very public space. And the balance of how exactly to use that needs to be thought about very carefully. I'm not sure I have a good answer for the balance on that one. But I do think that particularly when it's done... Um, with your name you don't realize how many people know you on Facebook who, who come across that and read it and is that really something you want everyone to know about what was going on in your bedroom last night so that balance I, I don't have a magic formula uh, I mean certainly one of the things I say is um, would your partner be comfortable with that being shared in public if not you shouldn't be sharing it that's as mm-hmm. an educator also what stories you tell and what stories you don't tell um, and some kind of maybe what I tell people face to face Uh, because if I'm willing to tell people face-to-face, maybe that's a good measure of it being something that's so easy to hit a button and send a message out into space and not realize how many people are seeing it. So maybe that would be one way of being thoughtful about what I share and what I don't share.
1: Wow, that was beautifully said. So now some follow-up questions based on what you had just remarked. So... uh on one hand, you said that, you know, it could be dangerous just keeping this to ourselves and suffering in silence. On the other hand, not everyone on Facebook needs to know, and certainly not my name. But why not? Meaning, what are the dangers of, of sharing this? And if it really doesn't bother me that everyone knows that I have these difficulties and I want to, you know, to share this with everyone so that no one else has to suffer what I've suffered, what are some of the dangers that you see in and not being again, we'll make the distinction between the privacy and the secrecy of not being private in this matter Right? Meaning to me, nothing is a secret, so to speak. So I don't know if I call it dangerous, mm-hmm. but I think
2: again, I think intimacy is a very precious thing, and it comes from creating private spaces with particular people. I mean. It's definitely true for couples. It's true in many of our relationships, right? That there are things you tell a good friend that you don't tell everyone that you know. And there's something in in the level of relationship that you have with someone where you create that intimate space that's different from... That's different, and that's precious, and that's... Um, Martin Buber talks about I vow, right? Mm-hmm. talks about two different types of relationships, relationships an I-it relationship and an I-vow relationship. An I-it relationship I have with all of the people who... Are utilitarian to me, my my doctor, my, you know, my hairdresser, my, my call-up person, I need them to give me a service and I'll pay them for it. But an I-Thou relationship is a relationship is where I bring myself fully to the relationship and you, Shani, bring yourself fully to the relationship and we create something between us that's different from what you'll create with any other person in the world. And that's unique to us. And when I when everything that we talk about I then put out into the world, it loses its its uniqueness, it uses its specialness, it's something in our heart that changes when we know that this the, the very special piece of information you just told me, you also told everyone else in the world. So that when we share ourselves too much, we lose a sense of intimacy in the relationships that really ought to stay very precious and private. I think it's not about danger, it's about a loss of what intimacy means on some level.
1: That's beautiful. I think that's what, actually what Bilam meant when... He also said, I'm Levadad Yishkon, right? They, they're alone. They're alone in a precious way. They, uh, they have a unique relationship. You know, the, the I-thou, I think that's, that's magnificent and very true. Okay, back to I'm keeping things private as a Jewish value versus sharing everything that's out there. It's interesting that Chazal, Masachet, Chagiga, Paragbet, Mishnah, Aleph, teach us, Ein ba'arayot that you're not supposed to engage in arayot, and we'll talk more about this term of arayot. But apparently, in private matters of of intimacy, of physical intimacy, again, va'yikra okay, paragutchet, listing all the arayot, the illicit sexual relations with uh, three people, with three or more people, and and the question is wait a second we have to educate you know so much of what we do through Eden and beyond is to educate young women to educate women of all ages on so many issues of of sexual intimacy so uh, when uh, we think of khazal's terminology of or arayot, i think that it's not it doesn't mean in lomdim and it's not about and Sharing information, just like in Dorshin ba we read the Arayot, we read Masem Kava respectively, in a public forum, but we don't necessarily extrapolate different ideas. And I think part of what Chazal are teaching us is exactly what you had mentioned—that we don't want misunderstandings, we don't want to again elaborate too much. How do you see that also as an educator? And what Chazal are teaching us in Dorshin ba Arayot? On one hand, we have to teach this. On the other hand, what really is going to be going perhaps too much? And what is it about specifically three? Why is one or two okay? What do you see as three being almost that that public sphere as opposed to the private one? Um, so I think that
2: Chazal a warning us to be careful when we enter certain areas of conversation, which is a really important warning. Um Sniut is a big value in Judaism. As a sexuality educator, I continue to see it as a big value. It what I believe is that you can talk in it's a new way about almost everything. Uh, and I think that's what Chazal are asking us to do. In other words, what they're saying is you're entering into ground you're entering into ground that is um, that has potential to be inappropriate. Uh, whether it's Masse Markova or sexuality, it has potential to be inappropriate. So first of all, big stop sign, be careful, be thoughtful about what you're saying. Be careful about how you say it. Are you using the right words or you're not using the right words? This is an area that can be taken in bad ways. And mm-hmm. your job, when you take on the job of educating, is to try and make sure that that your words are heard in good ways. And One of the things I do sometimes when I'm saying something that I feel is very important is um, I kind of try and draw my students' attention back and say, okay, right now, no one's to leave the room. I want you all to hear everything I say, because if you only hear half of what I say, I'm afraid that you're going to have the wrong idea. So that sense that as an educator talking about sexuality, you need to be very aware that you're holding something um, delicate in your hands and that you need to be thoughtful about it. I think it is also true, um, and this is probably always true, that when we open up boundaries that are usually closed the question of where to close them becomes a big question and very often and I've seen it myself in people who I've worked with and people who, my students that, um, that once you can talk about sexu- sexuality you talk much too much about sexuality, and honestly, yes. I think that's a reality in the world nowadays where uh, it has become unboundaried, and mm-hmm. nobody said that we don't need boundaries. Boundaries are a very important part of what we educate towards in sexuality. Everyone has boundaries of some sort, and the question is where you place them and how you choose where to place them and what are the right boundaries, uh, and Chazal certainly gave us a lot of guidance in, in that context. Um, but, uh, but, but the idea that I need to always recognize that I hold a big responsibility when I talk about these topics and I need to be thoughtful about what I'm opening, what I'm closing, what I'm teaching about what can be opened and what needs to not be opened or what can be opened in this space versus what can be opened in a different space. And I think three is just... Um, That's the point where you don't hold everyone's attention automatically. Mm -hmm. In other words, one, two, you can eyeball them, you can be sure that you're holding them. Once we hit three people, it's easy to be talking to two and one of them isn't hearing it, and therefore the three is that number of, like, be careful once you start talking to a crowd how you're holding them and what it is that you're saying and whether they're really with you.
1: That's so true. I find that in teaching kalot, there really is a difference, teaching one-on-one versus even one-on-two right? That three already, you lose something. You lose the attention. You lose the personal relationship. You also lose, again, their definitions, right? Meaning each one has their own understanding of of what you're saying. And so, so important and really imperative, I think, as educators, that we understand that when we're speaking about these very delicate topics of intimacy, that what privacy and what Chazal are teaching us is be careful. Be wary. Make sure that it's not taken both out of the social context, nor out of the. I love the way you said it. You know, just the the borders and the preciousness of it as well. So you mentioned also the the term of tzniut, and at the same time we're speaking about arayot, and I think that these are terms that are also often misunderstood. You know, people think of tzniut. You go around the room, and everyone mentions hemlines and sleeve lengths and. And when you look at the sources of chazal, starting from micha, Tsniot is behavior. And I think that this is really what is all about. It's it's about privacy. When we talk about erva, it's not nakedness, you know, in any vulgar negative way. It's really, you know, we use the term even today as private parts, right? And tzniot being about not bringing attention to ourselves. So, how do you see? again, as well, these terms of tsniut and erva, how would you, again, as an educator and as someone teaching parents and educators how to address these very delicate issues and how do you speak about tsniut?
0: So,
2: tsniut is a broken concept. <laughs> it's been uh, usurped, taken into a space that it doesn't really belong in, unfortunately, because it's a beautiful value, and I think we all value modesty. You'll value the idea that, um, that there are things we share and things we don't share. We always, all value the idea that not everything needs to be out in public. Again, if we come back to boundaries, we all agree that we need to have some kind of boundaries. What we're arguing about much of the time is where those boundaries have to be. And it makes sense that we argue about it because the world keeps changing and we keep trying to figure out how we hold on to our values in a world that is constantly moving. And, and it's wonderful that we have values to hold on to and that we have to negotiate. And that negotiation is important part of... Um, I don't know, eternal Torah and Torah Shbalpeh is the possibility of that kind of negotiation. So um, I think that it's new at its core, at its essence, is a much, much deeper value than any of the surface things that it has become. As you said, really the, the pretty much the one place in the where it's used is in Michah, which is the sense that if I have... Um, a sense of modesty as I walk with God and if I recognize that God is present in my life at all times I'll already figure out what to do because I'll be aware of God's presence and mm-hmm. I think sneut is about that it's about a sense of incorporating godliness k'tusha um, spirituality into my physicality also um, and that's the value that I wish we were teaching when we talk about sneut um, and and I guess erva also has to do with just what what parts of ourselves are we sharing, both physically and emotionally, and what parts of ourselves do we recognize as being private and precious enough that they don't need to be
1: out there in the public domain. It's interesting that we're talking about privacy with regard to intimacy. Chazal in Gemara Sukkah explain what are the examples of ha'atznei al-Lechet, so learn from a Pasuk in Kohelet, that it's about how you perform a wedding service and a funeral service and I think that the irony is that today with coronavirus I think we're beginning to understand it a little more that the intimacy of a small wedding of even a small funeral as difficult as that is helps us appreciate the goings-on sharing the most on one hand the the most momentous events in our lives with those that are closest to us without sharing. Again, with the, with the rest of the world, as say, you shouldn't announce necessarily or make a big plaque, you know, I donated, you know, the food to this wedding or whatever it may be. And I think that these really are values that are, are very, very Jewish and ones that we should hold precious to us in every sphere of our lives. So uh, Dr. Yochave Debo, this was wonderful. Can you leave us, please, if we started with the difficulties of... Uh, of this Jewish value of privacy in a very non-private world. Can you give us some practical examples and tips as to how we can implement this certain, you know, mindfulness perhaps to, uh, to make us a little bit more thoughtful before we decide to share or not share something? Uh, I mean, I think you said it. You gave the tips for me.
2: It's okay. But um, uh, I think first of all, from, from my point of view, first of all, I think we have to be honest and recognize that it's a challenge for us and not just for our children. It's so easy to say this next generation of kids growing up in technology struggling with phones all the time. Plenty of time that I get pulled into Facebook, I try not to look at it, but once I do, it takes way more time than I plan to, to get out of it. Um, and, and we're all struggling with that reality. So number one is to recognize that it's a challenge. Um, and it comes back to placing boundaries. In other words, being thoughtful about... Um, making sure that there's family time, that's phone free. Making sure that there's personal time during the day that maybe I don't carry my phone with myself all the time. That there are times when I just sit and work or sit and be with my children, and 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 choose not to allow. In other words, it's a distraction by definition. You hear that ping and you wonder who's sending you a message. Mm-hmm. So if you don't hear it, you don't wonder who's sending you the message. So to, I mean, Shabbat is obviously what we have in our lives, but I think we have to create those spaces during the week also. It shouldn't be that only on Shabbos do we talk to our children fully and completely. Uh, I think we model when we do that also. When our children see, I'm putting my phone away now, let's all put our phones away, then they choose to also. So modeling behavior in which we... And then in terms of thinking what we share, I think it's about thinking. In other words, again, use that, I definitely think, would I say this in a room full of people? If I would say it in a room full of people, I'd be comfortable standing up and announcing it, then maybe it's something I I could publish. But if it's something that I wouldn't want to say in a room full of people, who would I be comfortable saying with it? And then send an individual message. Don't bother putting it out in the world. Um, that's a great one, this
1: does. That really is wonderful. By the way, I loved how you how you said even those pings, you know, during dinner time. And you're right, I never thought about it as an issue of privacy, but that's really what it is. Meaning I'm allowing people from the outside to infringe on on my privacy on this private time. Yeah, we have to be strong and choose to. In other words, do you always
2: answer the telephone? Whatever, just uh, we have to be um, be wise about who we share our, ourselves with, also, and uh, and be strong and allow ourselves to say no. Right now, I'm doing something that doesn't allow me to be disturbed.
1: Um, Dr. Yochavezbo, thank you for not only highlighting these very important issues and values, but really giving us some, uh, some practical tips and making us. M- much more sensitive to this topic beyond. So wishing you and all of our listeners a Shabbat Shalom Uh And thank you. Thank you to the Aden
2: Center for, um, for for creating this space to talk about important things in a way that is appropriate. Um, and to you, Shani, for so many of the important things that you do in this world.
1: Uh, thank you.
0: As an active participant in the Eden educational community, I'm excited to welcome you all to a new segment on this podcast, Mikvah Minute. In it, I, Gabrielle Hodes, Majuchat Kala, and trained intimacy counsellor with over 20 years of experience, will share my thoughts, answering real-life questions about the mikveh experience and related issues. I hope you enjoy them and that they give you food for thought. I welcome your feedback and questions at podcasts at theedincentre.com. Hi everybody, Um, I'd like to talk today about mikvah and time management. We often have an image in our head of calm and serenity surrounding our visit to the mikvah. It's quite similar to the image many of us have surrounding our expectation for the half hour before Shabbat comes in. In both cases, the reality is quite different. Just fitting in our mikveh preparation and getting out of the house to go to the mikvah, whilst juggling dinner time, bath time, bedtime and a hectic work schedule is quite challenging. Adding into the mix, parent-teacher meetings, sick members of the family and smachot can just make the experience stressful and a real struggle. I'd like to provide some ideas that may help with our time management and suggest a few ways to identify what is causing the stress. Firstly, let's look at what we have to do from the halachic perspective in order to prepare ourselves for the mikvah. We need to take a shower or a bath and wash our body and hair with warm water and soap. We need to remove the chatzitzot. The halachic term for all of this is khafifah. We then need to check over our body to ensure that we have removed all the chatzitzot, and this is called iyun. We can choose to do this in a simple way. Or we can turn it into a more meaningful experience. Either way we will fulfill our halachic obligation. We're fortunate today to have baths and showers in our own homes, high levels of hygiene and day-to-day work that doesn't usually involve intense physical labor in the field and this means that we don't have the same challenges as our ancestors. We generally know seven days before we go to the mikveh when we're going to go and this enables us to plan ahead. We don't need to leave all of our preparation to the evening that we are going to the mikvah. We can take care of the more time-consuming preparations, such as cutting our nails, taking care of any hair removal that we're particular about, and removing hard skin and calluses gradually during the few days leading up to the mikvah, leaving us to simply take a shower or bath on the day of our tefillah. It's customary to do khafifah close to shkiah. However, if this means that we'll be rushed and stressed, we can take our shower or bath and wash our hair earlier on in the day, being careful to check ourselves during the iyun before immersing in the mikvah. Knowing a week ahead also enables us to think and plan ahead. We can try to take care of our day-to-day chores on a different day. We can make dinner earlier on the day or ask a different family member to make dinner that night. Many of the things that we generally do can be delegated even though we don't choose to do so on a regular basis. This is a good opportunity to invite our children and spouse to take on extra household responsibilities. Planning ahead can be challenging for procrastinators, last minute people and people who like to live in the moment. And for people like that, it would be helpful to change one small, tiny habit. And once that habit is established, they can move on to the next small change. We also decide where we want to prepare. And that makes a huge difference in terms of time management. Some people prefer and find it easier to prepare at home, just going to the mikvah to immerse, whereas others prefer to do all the preparation at the mikvah. The decision of where to prepare is influenced by many factors throughout our lifetime, such as the season, is it summer or winter, do we have young children or older children. At the moment, due to corona, most mikvaot are only allowing women to come to dip, and the bathrooms are not available for preparation. This has made many women change their mikvah habits. For some, it has made the preparation much more manageable and the trip to the mikveh quicker and easier. And for others who prefer to prepare at the mikveh, it has made it more challenging. It could be that preparing at the mikveh saves you time. You could go straight from work without having to stop off at home first. It could be that in the winter, it's cold. And by preparing in the mikveh, you save yourself having to get dressed in layers after preparing at home, only to undress all of those layers at the mikveh again, only to put them on afterwards. If you like to prepare at the mikveh, it's a helpful idea to have a bag permanently packed with everything that you need and love for the mikveh. This podcast is dedicated by Rochelle Schwartz in honor of all the women in her life who inspire her to keep learning Torah daily. Is there someone in your life that you want to honor? Someone who has helped you out or inspired you? Maybe it's a medical professional or a teacher or a yoetze who went above and beyond to help you. Or a yartzeit or death that you want to mark. Please consider making a donation to support this podcast in honor of a special person in your life. Join the Eden Centre for any of our upcoming programmes. Email us at info at com for information about our mikveh attendant, chatan or kara teacher training, and register on the website for our short courses, such as the two-session intimacy in halacha on Sundays, June the 28th and July the 12th, or labour, delivery and postpartum through the halachic lens on Wednesday, July the 1st and 8th. This episode of Wisdom and Wellness was recorded by Shani Tarragon. Music courtesy of Shimona Gottlieb and is a product of the Eden Centre. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please give us a five-star rating, share this podcast on social media and encourage others to subscribe. We welcome your feedback, sponsorships and support. You can reach us at www.theedencenter.com.